Hey, this is Brian Golden. I am the lead pastor of Centerpoint Church, and I just want to welcome you to our podcast and thank you for taking the time to listen. And I just want to let you know if you are in the greater Tampa Bay area, we would love to have you join us at one of our gatherings. And here's the thing about Centerpoint. Our vision is really simple. We want to be an alternative to church as usual for all people. And that just means we want this to be a safe place that welcomes everybody, doesn't matter what your background is or really where you're at on your faith journey. And so if you want any more information about our gatherings, go to our website at centerpointfl.org. And then most importantly, whether you're a longtime follower of Jesus or you're just in that place of investigating faith, I really hope today's message encourages you and really helps you to find life and freedom in Jesus. All right. Um, so we're, here's what we're talking about real quick. And you, you have to go back, um, if you're watching via Unfiltered Radio or podcast, or you're in the house right now, I'm not going to review. Um, so you go back, find on a podcast catcher, our CC app or wherever you can find it um, all over the place. But what we're talking about is um, if you've had any kind of experience in your past where you've just had a start over, it could be educationally, relationally, it could be with your finances, you had some kind of reset, a uh, new job, new career, a new semester, you got to do the semester over again. And it's not always like a bad thing. Sometimes it's just, it's just a thing. It's just in life. You're going to have to start over at some point. That's why this hits all of us. But sometimes it is something where we've been hurt. There's some pain. Um, we did it to ourselves or somebody else wronged us. And now we got to start over. And so the thing that we've said is how do we make sure that our next time is not like our last time, specifically if we're carrying some pain and some hurt. And last week, we started to talk about this in regard to our past where there's hurt or pain, is that you got to do three things. If you're going to make sure that your history does not influence your future, you got to own that past. You got to make sure that you don't try to blame your way into the future because you can blame your way into the future, but you can't blame your way into a better future. Blame just allows you to smuggle your issues into the next season of your life. And so you got to own it. And that's really hard to do. And then you got to rethink it, which we're going to talk about today. And then next week, you need to be here next week. Um, we're going to talk about releasing it so that you can move on and that your next time can be better. But today specifically, I want to talk about this whole idea of rethink it. Because here's the thing. On the backside of any bad decision or a regret or just, again, something where you're carrying some pain, a lot of times you have this question that we talked about in week one where you go, what was I thinking? Like, what was I thinking? Why did I do that? Why did I go there? Why did I say yes? Why did I sign on the dotted line? Like, what was I thinking? Why did I think that 0% down and no payments for 36 months was a good idea? Awkward laughter in the room. Like, why did I think that was a good idea? What, what, like, what, I knew it was too good to be true. I knew 30% return. I knew it was too good to be true. Turned out it was too good to be true. Like, it wasn't true. Or they tried to warn me, or they told me, or I knew I shouldn't have said yes. I knew I shouldn't have went there. I knew I should have studied. I knew I should have um, applied myself in that. I knew, I knew I should have ultimately made the decision they were telling me to make. And then you get on the other side, and you're like, well, what in the world was I thinking? It isn't this crazy for all of us. I, you don't even have to be a Jesus follower to relate. Like, just play with me for, on this part. Like, we don't even know a lot of times our own reasoning for making our decisions. Like we throw that question out there, but we literally don't know the answer to the question. I don't know what I was thinking. I don't know why I did that. I don't know why I went there, but I did. And so here's the bottom line for all of us. If you're coming out of one thing and you're heading into another, no matter what it is, if you think the way you've always thought, you're going to do what you've always done. 
And so if you're in something right now and you're getting out of it, again, whether it's a relationship or now you got you to gotta start over with this new business or, you know, you, you're, you're in a new school, you're in a new town or, you know, some of those decisions are starting to follow you. If you've never paused to pinpoint this whole idea of what you were thinking, if you just keep thinking the way you've always thought you're going to do what you've always done. And so, so you've got you to gotta nail down that question. So what I want to do is look real quick at this guy that I referenced in week one. His name is Paul. And I think he's got um, the most powerful start over story of maybe anybody in scripture. And so the guy, um, as we said before, was a guy that tried to stomp out the, the Christian movement known as the way in the first century. Then he became a Christian. Then he goes into hiding for quite a few years. And then when he emerges as like a missionary, dude has a big past. I mean, every village he goes into, everybody's looking at him with skepticism and he could never really fully outrun it. I mean, he did but there was always skepticism there. So he knows what it is to start over and he knows what it is to have some of that stuff from your past follow you into your present and into your future. And he writes some things that are brilliant. Specifically in this letter that he writes to Christians living in Rome in the first century, he's like, listen, when you get to this place in life and you will, and Paul's like, your circumstance probably not gonna be as extreme as mine, but you're gonna have to start over. Here's what you need to know. And the question to ask yourself before you head into anything is, what was I thinking? Like, no, no, for real. What was I thinking? So I want to look at these couple of verses from Paul. And then I want to um, land the plane in the second half with what I think are seven toxic assumptions that are beneath the surface that a lot of times are the reasons why we do what we do. And we've never pinpointed. And these seven toxic assumptions are not all that you could list, I could list like 99 or 990, but these are seven of the most common toxic assumptions that inform our decision-making. So here's what Paul says, though, um, in Romans, and maybe you've heard this before as you grew up in the church, but basically this is his advice to go. If you want to start over, like this is what it looks like, and he says in Romans 12, 1, therefore I urge you, brothers, and all he means is Jesus followers. If you're not a Jesus follower, you're not accountable to this because you didn't follow, you know, sign on to the Jesus thing, so you can pick and choose. In view of God's mercy, meaning everything God's done, offer your bodies, literally, just offer what you do. Offer your bodies as living sacrifices. And in this context, like they were used to carrying literal sacrifices of animals that had been killed to an altar. And Jesus is like, we're done with that. Now I like literally, you're the sacrifice, the blood coursing through your veins, your life surrendered to me. That's all I want. So I want you to, to find out how you can surrender your daily rhythm of your life and who you are to me and wanting what I want for you. And then he says this, this is holy and pleasing to God. And it's your spiritual act of worship. You're like, okay. But then this is what I love about Paul, because I think Paul pauses like, okay, but how do I put that at street level? So that's you surrender to God. Yeah, 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 I get all that. But like, what does that actually look like? Like, break it down for me. And then here's what Paul says. And you maybe have heard this. this is a somewhat popular verse. Do not conform. This is the how. Any longer to the pattern of this world. It's one Greek word and just means don't do what everybody else does. Like, like if you want your next time to be different than your last time, I, I want you to not conform or not just fall into this rhythm of what everybody else is doing and how everybody else is thinking. Basically, and this is kind of um, cheesy, but it's fine because you're going to remember it. Well, hold up. Like he, he, this is the idea that he's, he's given here. Like I don't want you to be this guy, cookie cutter guy. 
Like, I don't, I don't want you to be the guy that's just like, you, you talk a lot about nonconformity because everybody does in our culture. But then you just end up on the assembly line doing what everybody else is doing, following the line of cultural majority thinking. And, and listen, it requires no effort to do that. Just get up in the morning. And he's like, this is the natural flow of your life. You just conform to the system and the thinking and the majority opinions of the world and you end up where everybody else ends up. And instead he says, I want you instead to be transformed, literally in every area of your life. Like I want you to be transformed in your finances. I want you to be transformed in terms of your sex life. I want you to be transformed in terms of what you do on Monday. I want you to be transformed in terms of your entertainment. I want you to be transformed in terms of how you see the world, what you do with your future, how you plan, what you give to me, what you surrender. I'm talking about every area of your life. I want you to surrender to me. And I don't want you to be conformed into how everybody else thinks about that because you'll end up where everybody else ends up. I want you to be transformed literally. I want you to metamorphosis. It takes time. It takes effort. But I want you to be intentional to go, man, if my next time is going to be different than my last time, then I got to find a way to transform some things at the deepest level of who I am so I don't repeat history. Because if you just get up and do what everybody else does, you will be flushed with the current of culture and you'll just keep doing what you've always done. So basically, so listen, I want you to be, where's he at? I want you to be this guy. And my boys are going to love me. I'm getting pictures of this just so I can send it to them, um, though they were pretty angry that I took this out of the room this morning. But like, I want you to be this guy. Actually, I want you to be this guy. This is what I'm talking about. I want you to be this guy. Not this guy. It looks kind of weak. I want you to be this guy. Stupid. It's cheesy. But you're going to remember this when you walk out of here. Like, this is what I want for you. Like, and here's the, like, here's the implication. You're going to be one or the other. All of us are. Like you're going to live life in such a way that you're just going to be conformed in every area or you're, there's going to be intentional effort and intentional time. And listen, it's hard. It's why a lot of people don't do it. To be transformed in such a way that you just start to see things differently. And when you see things differently and you think differently, you start to do different stuff. And listen, I think there's a part of a lot of us where like, yeah, I want that. Like, even if you're not sure about the God thing yet, you have enough decisions to know, like, I need some help with some of this. Like, I, I, think, I, I think I want that. I want some things to work out differently. I don't want to repeat my own history. I want next time to be better than my last time. But here's the problem. And, and I'll just, on behalf of all of churches, I'll just take the blame for this. But like, this is what the church has done a lot of times that has set us up not for success, but has sabotaged us because our answer to the question of like, how do I get to this place? How do I transform? How do I step out of this mold is, well, you just need to recommit. You just need to surrender. You just need to throw your stick in the fire with some piano music playing in the background. So everybody cries at the end and it's super emotional. Like you just need to tag the little thing to the cross on the stage like and I'm not okay I am making fun of that but I'm not like all of that's great but there is no amount of discipline or commitment or willpower or promising that's going to lead you into transformation and we have this idea in the church where constantly and this maybe will inform you about some of the things we do and don't do that sometimes I get criticized for and I'm okay with that but I don't I don't hard sell people on decisions because a momentary I'm going to just whatever and God I promise and I surrender it doesn't go very far without what Paul's talking about here I mean come on 
Some of you started a New Year's resolution three weeks ago. That thing is in the rearview mirror by about nine days, right? Like it's long gone. Pick it up in 2021. Like it's not happening this year. Like we, we know that intuitively. And so like Paul's like, hey, listen, in all of these areas, in, in, in your relationships, in your future, in your career, the dreams that God's laid on your heart, if things are gonna be different, it's gonna require more than, than willpower and self-discipline and making another promise. You, you tried that already. And, and in fact, this is what Paul says, and it's so powerful. He says, this is where you need to go. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the what? By the renewing of your mind, literally. You gotta renew and you gotta restore. You gotta renew and you gotta renovate. You gotta take out the old and you gotta put in the new. And listen, anytime you're renovating anything, and I've never like restored a car, I've never you know, refurbished furniture, I've never done physical labor really in my life. Um, I'm kidding, no I have, but I haven't done any of that stuff. Um, nor do I have the aptitude or the IQ for whatever reason to that. But um, like, here's what I know is like, you got to take off the old to put on the new. Like that's like, that's how it works. And it always requires time. Like, here's the thing about renovations. If you've done, and I haven't done renovations, but we kind of did renovations to our house where I had other people come over and then, you know, I, whatever, I, I got a bag out and pick up the trash. So like they came over and we were doing a renovation in our, our town home and like it was a mess. And like, there's nothing that destroys a marriage early on um, more than trying to renovate something and be newly married. Anybody? Okay. It did for us. And um, so we're trying to renovate this thing. It was just horrible. And, and the lessons you learn are this. It, it's always messy, any kind of renovation. It always takes more time than you planned. It always takes more time. And you always get about halfway through and you're like, I wonder if this is worth it. But here's the biggest thing. It always takes time. And here's what we said in week one that is so huge in anything where you're starting over. Time is your friend. It's not your enemy. When you're moving out of one thing into the next, time is your friend. It is not your enemy. And Paul's like, if you're going to renovate your thinking, if you're going to renew your thinking, if you're going to go out with the old and in with the new, it's just going to take time to do that. And if you're rushing out of one thing and you're ready to just move into the another thing and you're like, well, yeah, but I promise and I commit and I'm ready and I'm more disciplined, it's not going to last. And it's why your next time is eerily similar to your last time because you've never done this. And so Paul's like, you gotta hit the pause button. You gotta think through some stuff before you're ready to move forward. And it's gonna be a little messy. It's gonna take longer than you want, but time is not your enemy. And it's gonna be more than self-discipline, promising and recommitting. Renewal takes time over time and you gotta be committed to it. But he's like, if you wanna be transformed and not conform, this is where it's at. Now, thanks to the first two rows right here and <laughs> really being with me. Like, like, here's the thing. This is why, like, just practically, like, when I, I sit down with people who are coming out of one marriage and into another marriage, I always recommend, usually they don't listen to me, but I always recommend you should wait at least two years before you get into another, another marriage relationship. Actually, my opinion is five, but nobody listens to that because, because you, you need time. And there's some thinking that you've never identified in a lot of cases. 
and you're moving back into the other thing and you think that just hoping and intention is gonna make it better and it's not. Singles, a lot of times that are coming out of a relationship where there was some hurt, it was a long-term relationship, they got a little busted up, there's always some raw emotions. I, a lot of times would just give, hey, you should just hit the pause button on getting into any relationship for a year. And they're like, what? And I'm just, no, I, you, your whole life is, just pause for a year because you get out and now you're obsessed with like finding the right person and you need to be more obsessed with, in a lot of cases, becoming the right person. Like I, I've heard it said, it's not original with me, but the per, in a lot of cases, when you're coming out of that and the emotions are still raw, the person that you're looking for is not looking for you. And so you need to pause to go, there's some thinking that I've got to start to rearrange and I've got to figure out what was at the core that led to some of this stuff, even if it was only 10% me before I move forward. And I'm less obsessed with finding the right person and I need to be more obsessed with becoming the right person. So I just need to hit pause on this. It's why we don't put brand new Jesus followers into leadership positions right away. And we always put people into leadership positions before they're ready. It's part of a value that I've embraced from the very beginning. I think Jesus did that, but not brand new believers. And they're committed and they're ready and they are more passionate than anybody. But it's not an issue of commitment. It's an issue of thinking. And one of the things that's just true is it just takes time to renew and to renovate your thinking. And if you have not taken out the old, what happens with paint? If you did, have not taken out the old and you put on the new, the new ultimately, it doesn't stick. If you've gone through a painful experience and there's still some raw emotions, we talked about this last week, then for about a year, you just need to hit pause to go, I'm not gonna make a single big decision because I just need time for God to transform and to renovate my thinking. And so Paul says this, like, if you're gonna get to this place, here's what it's gonna require. And so verse two, chapter 12, then, this is the result, then and only then, like, if you don't do this, you're not gonna be able to do this. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And I think for a lot of us, we're like, I want that. Like, I haven't always followed that. I, there's moments where I've felt like maybe that was the voice of God and I ignored it anyway and it didn't end up well. But like, I think for a lot of us, like there's something in us to go, I, I want that. I, I wanna stop being my own worst enemy. And what Paul's saying here is, listen, when you begin to take this seriously about your thinking, something's gonna happen where you start to see differently. And when you start to see differently, you start to do differently. And when you see as God sees, you're gonna start to do as God does, but it takes a while to start to change your thinking. It's why you should show up as much as you can every single week and be in the house around other people in proximity, lifting your hands in worship or doing whatever you do in worship because you're not emotive. So you just sit there, that's fine. Do whatever you do, but around other people where the scripture is being opened, hopefully in a practical way, because what will happen is over time, and I think there is something that God physically does when the church gathers. That's another message where God will begin to teach you how to think and how to process through things through the lens of the scripture and what he says about life. And you need that for you. It's why this 21 day prayer journey, we're on day seven today. Go to the CC app, message and resources. It's so incredible to just follow along with each of those prayers every day and follow along with the reading. And I'm just telling you, you do that in God. Be, it doesn't have to be long. It doesn't have to be complicated. God begins to renovate and renew your thinking. You're like, well, I don't understand a lot of the Bible. I don't understand a lot of the Bible either. Just get started and get into it. I mean, I understand some of it, but, but just, just do it. Listen, last thing. 
It's why you need to be in a community group. Like today, our, our signups are opening for community groups. If, if I could just convince everybody of this one thing, I would do it. It's like, you need community because you need to be around other people. You need to sh- hear and share their stories. And, and in a lot of cases, you need their stories to breathe hope into your story and to begin to get you to think differently about where God has you and where God wants to lead you. And I'm just telling you, that happens in community with other people around the scriptures where suddenly you realize down the road a little bit, you start to think differently. And, and, and your ideas start to be transformed and all of a sudden it starts to impact what you do. But I'm just telling you, you cannot commit discipline or promise your way into transformation. It is renewing of the mind that transforms the heart that ultimately transforms your life. Like regret and resolve are not gonna be enough. And if you think the way you've always thought, you're gonna do what you've always done. So real quick, that, that would be a great time to just go. So that's, so go do that, let's pray. But we don't roll that way. So I wanna make you a little uncomfortable. So here's like seven, I think, toxic assumptions. And again, there might be a thousand, but I, these are the most common that are, are kind of the underlying assumptions a lot of times that lead our decision-making. And if we don't identify, if we don't literally ask the question, what was I thinking on the other side of this? We'll repeat history. Because you need an answer to that question. So here are seven, I think, toxic assumptions that if you don't identify them, and you might be on this list, maybe you're not on this list, you got your own, but the Holy Spirit will lead you. Seven toxic assumptions, I think, form a lot of our, our thinking that we need to identify. And the first one is this. If I find the right person, everything's gonna be all right. Nope. Like if I just find the right person, Everything's gonna be all right. And we just kind of covered this a little bit, but it is more about you becoming what you ultimately want them to be. And on on the backside of any relationship, you've got to ask the question with some things that went wrong, some of them your fault, some of them not your fault. What was I thinking? Because come on, in any relationship that's ended, there was a period of time where you thought that that was the right person. And I'm not saying they didn't do some stuff and I'm not saying that there's not a huge part that is their responsibility. I'm just saying that there's some stuff that you've got to think through before you start moving along and you've got to begin to renovate your thinking the moment that idea pops up that, man, if I could just find the right person, everything's going to be all right. You know what that leads to? It leads to finding a person that becomes your little surrogate savior to fulfill you and complete you and you will kill them under the weight of that pressure. You need to become what God has for you and you need to become what you want them to be. And it's in the pause between the start over where God wants to renovate some things and transform some things to get you ready for a better relationship in the future. And you can't run out of one and just run into another one. The second assumption or lie or toxic thought is my situation is unique. And we talked about this a little bit week one. You're unique, you're fearfully and wonderfully made, you're amazing, you're awesome. Your situation is not unique. Your, your circumstance is a well-worn, predictable path. But come on, guys. Like, how often do we talk ourselves into stuff because we use or play into this lie that my situation is unique? I'm gonna be different. I understand for everybody else, and yes, that's the advice I would give them, but I, I think it's gonna work. And if you knew the context of my situation, and we literally sell ourselves on sabotaging our own future, And the moment you hear that thing of my situation is unique, you need to just identify and realize I got to renovate my thinking. 
before I end up in another decision and I'm left holding the bag and I'm like, why, how did I get here? What was I thinking? What you were thinking was you thought you were gonna be unique and you thought you were gonna avoid the consequences and you're not. Listen, my counselor friends may get mad at this, but like, I'll just dumb this way down. There's basically only five problems. And when you get and sit in front of a good counselor, it takes them usually about 15 minutes to go, eh, problem number three, eh, problem number four, whatever. Like, I'm seriously, this is why I'm not a good counselor because what they have to do though is they, they can't just go, oh, you're number three on the list. And I'm oversimplifying it and I apologize to all the counselors in the room, but like, but basically they just can't, they can't go, hey, here's what your problem is because you'd never believe it. And so what they have to do is get you literally to listen yourself into your own conclusions. Like, it's just true. And so the moment that lie starts to prop up, well, I'm unique, I'm unique, my situation is unique. No, it's not. It's a well-worn, predictable path. And you gotta change your thinking. The third one is this. It's not right, but it makes me happy. And God wants me to be happy. So here's what I say with all the grace I can muster. You made that up. <laughs> like, and it's fine, I'm just telling you. And I think, like, I'm not asking everybody to be a theologian, but I think this is why we need some knowledge of the scripture, because I think we're throwing stuff out there. Well, Jesus said, I oh, know that was Thomas Jefferson. Like, well, like, we don't even know what we're quoting a lot of times. Like, we, we, we need some knowledge of the scriptures, but I'm just telling you, like, come on. To think that I'm gonna move forward with something that's wrong and justify it because God wants me to be happy? Come on, you've had some happy weekends. <laughs> you had a happy trip, you had a happy Friday night, and then you were left with nothing but regret on the other side of that happy night. Come on, can I get a witness in the house? <laughs> just, just you know somebody. You don't always know what's gonna make you happy. I don't always know what's gonna make me happy. And come on, there's seasons where we're walking through something where God's setting us up. And listen, I hate the moniker that God wants you to be holy, not happy, as if those are in competition. That's another message. God does desire your happiness within his will. He is not after begrudging submission or some hellish walk of like, I just gotta follow you and it's gonna be terrible. God says, I'm inviting you into life and life to the full joy, pleasure, fulfillment, happiness. But listen, it is not gonna be found by choosing what is wrong and justifying it by saying that God wants me to be happy because sometimes God's means to get you to something on the other side where you're gonna experience fulfillment and happiness is the furthest thing from what you would choose. And in, the whole, in that moment, you have no idea where God is leading you. And where he's leading you is straight to the very thing that you desire that you're trying to get on your own. And so when you start to surface that lie, like you just need to realize, like you, you made that up and God's not gonna bypass what is right to get you to where he wants to get you. And you're not gonna be able to circumvent his plans and his desires by just slapping a, he wants me happy so I, I can ignore all of this and just move forward with it anyway. Listen, if it's not right, it's not gonna turn out right. Like, well, that's brilliant. No, everybody, but listen, 
those, those assumptions surface, and we don't ever talk about them. Like you probably never say this out loud unless you're at happy hour, but you like, you, you never probably, well, this is what I think, but we live with this understanding. And the moment you feel that start to rise up, we're trying to justify a decision. That's this indicator. You need to renew and renovate your thinking. God wants to transform something in you. Number four, and I gotta go quick. If, if I only had fill in the blank, then I'd be satisfied. And again, I know we're like, no, 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 but we do it all the time, man. Uh, 2,500 square feet, that car, that job, better sex life, that relationship, better sex life, it, it, that, that career move. Like, what, like if I just had that, then I would be satisfied. And none of those things are bad things, but they're ultimately not gonna satisfy you. I've talked about this a lot. Those things like sex and pleasure and money and, and all of those things that like God's given as gifts, if we use them in context, all of those things are appetites. And appetites are never fully and finally satisfied. If you're looking for them to be the source of your satisfaction, it doesn't matter what it is, new clothes or a new nose, they're never fully and finally. And then you end up with a bad decision and you end up somewhere where you don't wanna be. And you go, what was I thinking? How did I get here? What you were thinking was, whether you wanna admit it to people or not, if you only had that fill in the blank, you were gonna be satisfied. You know, Solomon wrote a whole book about this in the Old Testament. At the end of his story, he's got more women, more money, more wealth, more wisdom than anybody in the world wakes up one more day with another tattoo in the back of a chariot going, it just doesn't work. It just doesn't satisfy, it doesn't fulfill. And Paul's like, listen, if you're, gonna, if you're gonna get past the lie, you've gotta renovate your thinking. And then number five, I think the toxic assumption that plays a lot of us is I owe is better than I want. I owe is better than I want. Like there's always this tension, right? I want it, I want it, I want it, I want it, I want it. I don't wanna owe on it, I want it, I really want it. I don't wanna owe on it, I want it, I'm just gonna owe on it. And the reality is, it's better to want than it is to owe. But come on, what was I thinking? How did I get into this? How do we rack up this credit card debt again? How did we repeat history again? Why did this happen? What was I thinking? I'll tell you what you were thinking and you'd never admit it. You were thinking in that moment that your want was gonna be satisfied by owing and you wanted it so much, you just decided to owe and there was people spending millions and billions of dollars to get you to want so that you would owe and now they've won and you owe and you can't send it back. Probably, unless Amazon's flagging you, you can't send most of it back. And that angst that causes you to ignore wisdom reveals something where you've got to renovate some thinking and some toxic assumptions that's led you into bad decisions. Last two will be done. My secret is safe with me. Secrets always seep. Secrets always seep. You can never contain a secret. And you're moving into the next thing and you're not going to tell them about it in the new job. And you're gonna conceal that in this relationship. You're gonna keep telling your 80% true story and you're just gonna keep that secret to yourself and you're gonna smuggle it into your future. But I'm just telling you, secrets always seep. And I said this last week, when you are holding on to something, you are always unavailable to someone. And there is distance in the relationship and they can't even solve it because the problem isn't with them, the problem's with you. 
and you're carrying a secret that you've got to let go of. And, and it's, it's a prescription drug thing and you got into the relationship and it's your husband and four different pharmacies and you've never told them about it. And now your relationship's really crowded because it's your prescription drug thing. It's you and it's your husband and you're carrying the secret and there's distance in the relationship. And I just want to tell you, eventually it seeps. Your alcohol thing, your porn thing, the story that you've been telling that's not really true. And you get to a place where all of a sudden like something comes out and you devastate and you hurt the people that are closest to you and you love the most and you think, what was I thinking? And ultimately what you were thinking is that your secret was safe with you and it's not. And if you're coming out of something where you're still carrying some stuff, before you get into anything else, this is the time right now to pause and move that thing into the light. And I know there's gonna be momentary external chaos and you may have to try to restore relationships. Some relationships might be severed. Some things are gonna be chaotic. You're not gonna know how some of it's gonna end. You're not gonna know exactly how it's all gonna play out. And externally, it's gonna be chaotic, but I'm telling you internally, maybe the first time where you ever experience peace and God begins to transform your thinking and transform your heart and eventually transform what you do to set you up for something better in the future that you are never gonna find until you drop the secret and move forward and stop smuggling it into your future. And then the last one is this, sex is gonna solve it. Sex isn't a solution. It's sex, I talk a lot about sex, more than most people are comfortable here. Sex is not a solution. Sex is amazing. I, I say that, I feel like I say this every week. Maybe I should evaluate my preaching, but God created sex, man. God manufactured this. And he's going, listen, I own the patent. Use as directed. It is unbelievable. And God, God is the most pro-sex individual in the whole planet. And he wants within the context of intimacy and exclusivity and relationship. He wants a great sex life. That's literally God's will for your life. Have you ever thought about that? Like he wants you to work toward that. And it's a part of great holistic relationship. But listen, if you start to have the assumption that you're gonna fix something with sex, that is the instant where you need to realize that there's some renovation that has to happen in your mind that starts to transform your heart because sex complicates things. Sex does not ultimately solve things. And come on, Home Depot does not sell you a chainsaw with directions because they hate you. They don't want you to chop off your arm. And God's going, listen, sex is a beautiful gift, but use it within the confines and the context that I've created it. And it's not going to solve anything. It's only going to complicate things. And come on, I don't even need to tell you that. You already know it. You already have your own story or you have three friends that have their story that their life, their relationship or a season of their relationship has been devastated because of this toxic assumption. And when you spot it, you need to renovate it as it enters your mind and begin to renew your thinking and restore and renovate. And God begins to do a work that sets you up the next time for something that's better than the last time. And listen, I'll just, I'll, I'll just admit, a lot of the ways that Jesus is asking you to follow him, like your response could be, I'm gonna kind of be a cultural freak. But I just, I love this quote from Craig Rochelle. If you want what everybody else has, just do what everybody else does. If you want what few people have, you gotta do what few people are willing to do. 
and this isn't like a cynical indictment, this is just truth. Just look around. The cultural sexual ethic, I don't think it's playing that well. The relationships that are characterized around you are not always what you want in terms of your hopes and your dreams for your future. The way everybody else is doing it, I don't know if it, it's best for what God desires for your life. And so he says to me and to you, listen, I, I want more for you. And so if you're coming out of one thing and into another thing, you, you've got to legitimately stop and answer this question. What in the world? No, seriously. Like, what was I thinking? On the other side of that relationship, on the other side of that purchase, on the other side of that failed business, on that semester flame out, the fact that I let them down or they let me down. What was I thinking? Like, like what's my answer to that question? And the invitation by your savior or by your savior, if you would embrace him and his name is Jesus and he came to die on the cross for our sins and he walked out of a grave alive, we believe in history. He says to you, your next time can be better than your last time, but not because you commit for it to be, not because you intend for it to be, not because you lifted your hands in worship, not because you listened to a message, not even because you pray. Your next time can be better than your last time because you have done the hard work time over time to renew and to renovate your thinking and seriously ask the question and come up with an answer. What in the world was I thinking? And in that, God says, listen, I will invite you out from your past to stop smuggling your issues into your future. And I will set you up for something better. Because come on, we do serve a God who's already laid down the gauntlet to let us know I'm for you. I died for you. I want life that is beyond ordinary. In fact, he says, I'm inviting you into life to the full. I'm not inviting you into this meaningless existence where you're simply white knuckling rules and rituals and another list of commandments, but instead he says, listen, I want you to love others the way I've loved you. I want you to follow me because you trust me. And I'm just telling you, and I proved it at the cross, my way and my desires for your life are better than you're even going to come up with your life. I want your joy. I want your fulfillment. I want your pleasure. I want your happiness. I want you to experience the best that you can in a sin infested world, but you're only going to find it as you follow me. So you got to take out the old and you got to put in the new. And Jesus says to every single one of us, follow me, follow me, follow me out of what you've been pressed into and what you've gone along with without even thinking and begin to step up and step out and do the hard work to renew and transform your mind so it transforms your heart and ultimately transforms your entire life. And it's available to you. So would you stand with me all over the house? And I want to invite you in if you're listening via unfiltered radio or streaming right now or listening via podcast somewhere. Jesus, I thank you so much that you are a God that 2,000 years ago gave us this truth. And Lord, I pray for some of us where we're not even sure about the Jesus thing, that Lord, the, the truth of what you've written would, would begin to do something in their heart that maybe it ultimately would lead them to you to, to recognize what we believe. And that is what you did in history to die for our sins and walk out of a grave alive. It's true. It's real. Like you did that. And Lord, I pray for so many in this room and outside of this room, Lord, whether what we've talked about in these moments is the specific thought process they've struggled with, or there's another one that's already popped to the the forefront of their mind. I just pray that you would give them the courage 
to confront some areas where they need to transform and renew their thinking. And God, I pray that through that, you would begin to lead them toward a better future where they would be free. And maybe for the first time in their life, they would experience the fullness of all that God has for them. So God, just give us courage to not keep getting up and mindlessly moving forward to the rhythm and the flow of cultural majority thinking. But God, help us to be transformed, believing that what you have on the other side of it is just better. We pray this in your incredible name, the name of Jesus. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this message or have been impacted by Centerpoint Church in any way, would you consider helping us out in one of two ways? First, if you would just spread the word, share this message with your friends, family. Maybe you could go rate and review our podcast on your favorite podcast catcher, but this helps us so much more than you know. And secondly, this ministry is supported by people like you through their financial generosity. And so if you've been impacted by any of these messages, would you consider giving to support the mission and vision of Centerpoint to see people reach with the radical grace of Jesus? You can give today on our website at centerpointfl.org. And again, that's centerpointfl.org.